think it's pretty obvious that we're very excited about Jim Broadbent joining the cast of Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's awesome. What can't he do? There isn't much. I mean, he's... I actually, uh, because it was Harry Potter weekend on Freeform. <laughs> See, I corrected myself there. There you go. <laughs> nice. He, he called uh, an ABC family in our squadcast. I, I, I was uh, doing a rewatch of, of most of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince I'm sorry. over the weekend. And uh, But you know, one of the highlights uh, is, is Jim Broadbent as Professor Slughorn. For sure. Uh, he does a mean armchair those of you who don't know what i'm talking <laughs> about that's a really cool effect let's go watch the, the movie break to everyone yeah or read the great. book he does a mean cavendish in cloud atlas as well Ooh, very very incredible in that movie <laughs> and hannah is is bothered by his facial expressions I'm, but it, i'm really sorry but his eyes and his mouth creep me oh. out i think he's a brilliant actor but mm. you know what i mean then, come then, on then, hannah you shouldn't watch eddie the eagle uh, which is the most recent Jim Broadbent movie I saw because he's pretty much he's in it for a couple moments eagle? as a he no he's a in it as a, a as, as a he's not an Eddie nor an Eagle mm. but he's a commentator they they have a couple of shots of him in the booth he's just like he's the one British commentator who's there at the Olympic Games for like but but Britain has not had like a representative in the ski ski jumping category for like a really long time so he likes the the lead act, uh, lead guy Eddie the Eagle by basically because he's like a sense of nationalism but mm-hmm. he, it's a lot of eyes and winking and blinking and smiling <laughs> and so winking. you probably that, that's that's <laughs> all it is out. it could yeah. be his strongest tool moving into Game of Thrones if he is cast do we think I mean I know that we tweeted it and that a lot of you listeners out there are thinking the same thing but do we think that Jim Broadbent could uh, be housed within the Citadel in season 7 yeah I that see him being thought. at yeah. home there, yeah. Just kind of a, a quirky maester. I'm He's going to try it. and collect Sam. <laughs> I've seen rumors, <laughs> thoughts that he could be Helen Reed. That would be interesting. Okay. Mm. Listen, <laughs> I actually, you know what? I like that more. Somehow I like that more. I know that that feels weird, but can you imagine if he was stone-faced, you know, dramatic, no humor, wielding the sword bravely? Yeah, that I, would be really cool. That'd be interesting. Cause that'd be so like, cool. All the roles that we are accustomed to seeing him in, most notably as as Slughorn. But then wasn't he also in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? I think so. I'm not sure. Didn't he play the the owner of of the the house that they? Uh, oh the yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Holy crap! He was Professor Kirk. So he has that 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 persona to him. So that's why I thought I, I agreed with what Zach said initially about him being in the uh, in the Citadel. He, I don't know. Like, I, it's hard to see him as like this big combat warrior. I know. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't, I don't. Not see that it. Alan Reed is a big combat warrior, but he could do a good Kranich, man. It'd be cool. Yeah, I like that. I just got really excited at that possibility. It's fun when we see actors kind of. I don't know, break the mold. I don't, I don't yeah, know what I'm saying. Yeah, this is good. Like Ian, Ian McShane, like the news of Ian McShane, right? And look at how well that turned out. Um, and you know, we were excited. We knew him from Deadwood. We knew him from his other stuff, like. Uh, not to mention Jonathan Price, of course, too. But like when the show gets these actors who we've seen elsewhere and, you know, we can kind of read into what character they'll be playing or what we just know that their performance will be good and will be captivating regardless of where the show chooses to place them. Also, these casting announcements, I think year year by year, the characters become more important as the end game draws near. If that makes sense, like mm-hmm. there's a certain mm-hmm. slant towards, you know, we needed this actor to play a character. 
you know, here, here's the, like the character just ultimately is given a little bit more weight because of where in the story it falls. I think he could have been a convincing Illyrio. Yeah, I can see that too. Done mm-hmm. upright. Maybe they recast Illyrio. Yeah. Maybe this will be will be the new He's Illyrio. A cheesemonger. <laughs> he's, got that he's got those eyes. Yeah, he could definitely be animated. I can imagine him talking about candied ginger. Very excited. Oh yeah, it was a or lily. pineapple. Or pineapple. Thank you, I've seen it. <laughs> no, this is exciting though, and I remember that we were all really pleased when In McShane was announced, and. You know, there have been incredible actors during this show. I mean, the show began with Sean Bean, Boromir in our hearts, not to mention everyone else. I mean, this is kind of a, a moot conversation because you're listening to this podcast, you all know. But just for some reason, when Jim Broadbent got announced, I was just like, yeah, season seven. Like, I, I, it may be the personal, I don't know, love I have for the characters that he's played, but... I feel like he just represents a lot. He brings a lot of polish to the screen. And I think if, if that's what they're looking for in season seven, for whatever role he plays, like what a great snag. Cause it's going to be awesome. Whatever he does. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you know um, what I truly think it is, is that you know, they need to have at least one former Potter actor in every season, in every season. Yeah. Because it's like we written lost in the HBO contract or David something. Bradley last season. Right. When Arya oh. slit his throat. So yeah, now and, we have and Natalia's gone as well. That mm-hmm. is true. Yeah. So now we have Jim Broadbent what, to take the place. When's Daniel Radcliffe going to get cast? Hmm? <laughs> that would be. <laughs> he'd be Horrible. a bard that raps. That I would that love. raps Nicki Minaj. <laughs> wow, here for that. So we hope you're excited about Jim Broadbent. We wanted to talk to you about that. There's yeah, also a lot of news on Watchers on the Wall about season seven. If you're interested in looking at that kind of stuff, pictures of where they're filming. Details on characters and such. I'm staying away from that. Just yeah. gotta. Yeah, it's it's always tough. And being now in the position where we're all in the same boat, I, I kind of want to stay away from it myself. You know, I, it, it was one thing when you had a good sense of what was coming and you're interested to see, oh, who's going to be cast as this character. But now where there's just so much uncertainty in terms of where things are going... I, I don't want to be spoiled. Well, we feel that way right now because we're just coming off of season six. But come January, February, <laughs> I'm going to be here for every single spoiler I can find. So no, there's no winds of winter <laughs> to look forward to. We wanted to talk to you guys because these two chapters that we're, we're, we're speaking on, specifically Brianne's chapter, I think it's a good handful of detective work. You, the Game of Thrones community, have been uh, have been busy the past week there have been things about the winds of winter um cascade across social media there was a a landing page like a, a static buy page for the winds of winter posted on amazon france and it got a lot of people excited and then there's this mystery of mysterious author peter reed that i think may be closed but is worth mentioning as shown on this reddit thread uh the saga of peter reed Continues for those who are familiar with that mystery. Stressed almost writer on Reddit wrote, You've stumbled across something real strange here. I can't find any information on a book titled Jungfrau by Peter Reed. Nothing on Goodreads, nothing on Google. I don't think it exists. There's no cover, no reviews, and the synopsis is the most basic thing I've ever heard. Quote, a debut novel of mystery and intrigue. (laughs) (laughs) Every book I've ever liked. (laughs) And yeah, right? That sounds pretty good. Have we stumbled across some conspiracy? Do publishers sometimes create fake book titles as placeholders for future anticipated novels, or am I crazy? Uh, But then 
then it gets weirder. Um, apparently, Roy Dotris will be doing the audiobook for this book, uh, Young Frau. We know Roy Dotris, uh, from the show. He was the pyromancer. And of course, we know him, uh, those who love the audiobooks because he's read the Game of Thrones Song of Ice and Fire books. So he's secured. The publisher is the same, HarperCollins in the UK. It sounds, oh, and also the, uh, the, the book is categorized on the website as fantasy, which doesn't necessarily match a debut novel of mystery or intrigue. And a uh, book is listed as out of stock everywhere you look. So this, a wild book appears, everybody. Folks dug harder. And, uh, this was a tweet from <laughs> our friend, Brendan B. Fish. He just wrote caps moving into DEFCON 3. And this is after <laughs> a day of, uh, of, uh, everyone on Twitter, all of you on Twitter were like, I feel like this was just a, like I said, a community effort, detective work, and it was beautiful. On bookdepository.com, this is the about Peter Reed section. George R. R. Martin <laughs> is the author of Fever Dream, the ultimate science fiction horror novel, several collections of short stories, and numerous scripts for television drama. He lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So he's Peter Reed? I didn't find Peter Reed in that paragraph. Or anything that wasn't very specifically about George R. R. Martin. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. I think especially after we had a lot of these conversations back at the end of last year before season six came out about whether or not we were going to get the book before season six. And I guess it's turning into whether or not we're going to get this before season seven. And I think stuff like this, it, le- it piques my interest. Like it gets me excited. But then there was this thing on his live journal, which we can read, which I don't know what I'm supposed to think about this. Aria Wolf on George R. R. Martin's live journal, they um, leave a comment asking if he is going to be in attendance of Con of Thrones, which you guys might know a little bit about, um, next year in Nashville. And they say, it's my first con. I'd love to meet you, blah, blah, blah. And George R. R. Martin responds. He says, afraid not. I'm not taking any new cons until I finish wins. I don't know if we're supposed to think that because Con of Thrones is in July, he's not expecting to be done with it before then. I don't know. George. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. If we, we look at it from the optimistic side of things, I would just say it's it, he's not committing. Right. Right. Until he knows he's definitely going to be done writing the book in time. I mean, he was supposed to be done last year. I, look, hey, look, you don't have to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> but let's tell that's, each, let's that's tell the each way other. I read that. Mm. Curious. Because Curious I want him at Con of Thrones. <laughs> Yeah, I know, obviously right? it'd be fantastic to have to have George. But I mean, more importantly, after seeing this, uh, I'm I was deflated because after after the, the the little clues and stuff, like I wasn't sure if it had anything to do with it. But it, it was kind of nostalgic. Took me back to earlier days in literature when I was a kid growing up, and we were waiting for books to be released. You know, and we're very excited for the Winds of Winter to come out. Like we're so excited. Like this is this is the time. You know, like pre season six, we all thought that it was coming, and then and then George. George wrote his long not a blog and things got moved and rightly so. And, you know, I, I guess it just kind of felt like to the community, not to mention that they've always been impatient and we've always been impatient. That should be noted, but it, it just kind of felt like the right time, maybe upcoming this sure. winter, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, especially because we've just passed the, the five year mark of a dance with dragons, right. Yeah. Being released. So mm-hmm. it's kind of getting in that window. And, and I know, Generally, George does take a long time to uh, write these books, but 
just given the fact of where we are with the television show, I think the hope would be is that this book would be released before season seven, just so that as book readers, we all feel like we can catch up right? Uh, or even move past where some of the story may be. I, I think there's probably going to be a lot more frustration uh, out there uh, on the interwebs uh, if this book doesn't get released prior to season seven. I, you know, I think it it, it might also be George R. R. Martin's like attempt at at being as candid as he was in that letter where he talked about having multiple deadlines and not being able to meet them. Right. Like he, and that's why I tend to agree with you, Micah, that it's probably that he's just saying he's not committing because he is in a position still, which is I'm, I'm sure disappointing to many people where he cannot commit to new things. He, he's essentially said this book needs to get done. This book needs to be written and he's not yet, you know, comfortable enough saying he's going to, excuse me, going to go and do things um, in the world because the book is that far from being finished currently. Or that close to being finished. Right. Um, So it's a mystery, but I think he's being genuine about all of this. Of course. Yeah. I think so too. I think he's being as genuine as he can be. And I think like you said, he set that precedence earlier or late last year earlier this year and yet amazon france is putting up a book that might be his you know so it's like uh what what do we believe here who 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 are we you know who are we to believe well it's fun that con of thrones is involved in this speculation <laughs> you know <laughs> it's really cool it's pretty cool uh, and that's been a lot of fun working on con of thrones spent some time in nashville that's why i missed the last episode um, mm-hmm. we, I, don't know, I just had not much to say there. Just a lot of work is happening and, uh, tickets went on sale. We sold out of Valyrian passes in a matter of four minutes and Gosh. that was alarming. <laughs> How's the, uh, dragon pit coming? It's coming along nicely. Mm-hmm. How's the bear pit coming? That as well as coming along nicely. <laughs> we have several pits coming to Conifer. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of uh, meat that mm-hmm. we got to feed to these guys. That's why we have volunteers. Yeah. It's, it's an important <laughs> To mention the fact that we have secured Winter Boo for the con. Wait, Winter Boo is the bear, Winter Coo is the camel, correct? I can't remember. Yes. We've yes. had 350 episodes of Inside Jokes. It's really hard to <laughs> keep track of them all. Time keeps moving on, guys. <laughs> Hannah probably doesn't get any of these jokes. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter how long I've been on this show for. I'll never be completely oh. in the know. Well, we're still doing chapters. We've got Brienne and Tyrion on the show today. Yes. Very exciting guests. Brienne's Biscuit. They're here to join us right now. Brienne? I'm looking for a maid of three and ten. <laughs> oh, really? Tyrion. Where did the horse go? Yeah. <laughs> They're both on the road. My lady, what's her name? This maid of three and ten that you're looking for? She's like, um... <laughs> <laughs> can't give you that. <laughs> um, I really loved this Brienne chapter. I feel like we got a lot of really cool backstory. I like the Tyrion chapter too, but I really, really loved this Brienne chapter. What'd you love? <laughs> I don't want to skip too far ahead to the middle of the chapter, but this whole thing about um, Lord Dennis and the Defiance of Dunks- Duskendale. The, the, yeah. the Defiance of Duskendale is fascinating to me. Um, and that was my favorite part of this whole chapter. This chapter is very like trademark George R. R. Martin. Uh, you go to a new town that you've never been to before, or rather a character does. Uh, You learn so much about the people that are currently living there and the people who have lived there in the past, famous battles, famous sieges, and how the current economy or, you know, group uh, of the townspeople are still reeling from, you know, what had happened in years and years and years prior. 
Uh, it's, it's rife with backstory and four story and <laughs> all this. And there's a four story in. So there's that. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's a lot of good detail, but still mixed in, in the same way with like captivating dialogue and a character that we love who's experiencing it all. Um, you know, Brienne just kind of happens upon this captain, uh, who lets her into the town and finds out that his sister is the one who's going to paint her shield, which she's been looking to have happen. And, you know, the way that it mimics sort of real life, even though it would be terrifying to live in this world where, uh, so many horrible things uh, happen still so violently to people, but it's just, it felt organic and you just get a lot of info and it doesn't feel like you have done so. When you learn so much about this house, the Darkland house that we didn't really know too much about before. And, and I the think, Hollards, yeah. Yeah. And there's this cool line at the beginning of the chapter when she's going into, she's kind of starting to explore and she says they were, she's talking about the seven sons of Darkland who were, in the Kingsguard and how they were the only, no other house had ever had so many sons in the Kingsguard. And it says they were the, they were the glory of their house. And now they are a sign above the inn. And how, Talk about you know, like a real so- sobering fact or yeah. a sobering, uh, announcement. Yeah. This make. town with so much history and it's now just kind of like a little mark on the map. There were Kings in Duskendale before the Andals came. I've still got a bit of royal blood left in me. Yeah. <laughs> you see? Do you know? <laughs> I was like, don't don't sell that don't tell that to any red haired women that may come and stay at the end. Did it feel like you were reading from the perspective of Sir Duncan the Tall this chapter, or was it just me? I, I, I think that's a very interesting perspective. I like that perspective a lot. I think this this chapter really mimics the kind of experience Sir Duncan had taking a room at the tourney in the first book. I, I think the parallels are pretty apt. It's not directly because the the shield was painted in a fashion that resembled a shield that she remembers from Tarth or a shield cool that, that the painter, right? Remember, like it was reminded mm. of, remember seeing, which obviously uh, if you've been with us for a while and, or if you've read a night of the seven kingdoms and, or the hedge Knight, you know that the shield she had repainted was in the fashion of one of her ancestors. Sir Duncan, the tall, how cool is that? Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. That shield that she saw as a girl was probably the shield. That's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would have to be. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah, that's really, really cool. I, like I think that the, the reason it felt like we were getting, I mean, obviously we're through the perspective of Brienne, so that's, it's just a feeling. And, and yes, it was definitely helped by the moment with the shield, but Brienne's a sharp girl. She's smart. She knows what she's doing, but yet she still doesn't have the the, the wherewithal to ask a better question than questions that she should know have already been being asked ever since the king was murdered at his own wedding. Yeah, she she kind of misses a, a key uh, beat of this whole quest that she's on, right? She, For instance, the very first question she's asked in this chapter, what's her name, this maid you're looking for, by a woman who's legit concerned and she doesn't even have an answer. And it's like, well, you've been you've been wandering the countryside. We've read Brienne before, wandering around, asking about this girl, asking, looking for Sansa. And she doesn't even have sort of a fake name made up for when somebody inevitably, who cares, mm-hmm. would ask her. Penelope Clearwater, done. Penelope Clearwater, yeah, just <laughs> make something up and nothing comes up. And it's, you know, considering also this saw chapter- Also that last night. <laughs> this chapter is also a, uh, I don't want to say love story. It's a meet cute between Brienne and, and Podrick. Um, you know, who she meets at the end and who he has a few key beats missing about him too. And it's sort of like over time they deserve each other. I I don't want to like 
oh, downplay the, the brilliance <laughs> of Brienne, but they're both sort of faltering in places. And you, you wonder if, because we know Podrick from earlier chapters of other people's POVs and obviously from his very generous uh, portrayal on the show. Uh, you know, you just kind of, you expect greater things to happen now that the two of them are together. Stronger together, together forever. Because they, they both have a few United. pieces missing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this chapter too, for me, I mean, it, it still paints the picture of what is going on following the War of the Five Kings, especially as Brienne enters the town and she comes across the market square where they're selling all this armor. And it's just a reminder of how difficult it is to live in Westeros at this time. It's almost in complete contrast to Tyrion in in the next chapter where he's going along the road and he's staring up at the stars and there's just this very strong calmness about things. Mm -hmm. Whereas Brienne is traveling along this road where she has to worry about every turn she makes, you know, is she going to get killed? Is she going to get raped? What's going to happen to her inside the walls of Duskendale. Is she going to come across friend or foe? You know, it's, it's very much indicative of the time. And, and, and so I thought there was a great line, you know, as she was looking at all of these different pieces of, of armor, uh, you know, and, and all the different weaponry that's been collected, that's now being sold back. And it said friend or foe, the crows care not. And of course we're reading a feast for crows, but it just, it just shows you that it doesn't matter who you are at the end of the day, you're still just lunch to a crow. And mm-hmm. even worse so to be a woman traveling the road, it's the good wife at the beginning of the chapter who says, who's asking her knowingly, like, does she have a name? Because she does care at least, at least some for the questioning. Um, no name. Well, the roads are full of nameless girls mm-hmm. and that says a lot. Yeah. And the woman's yeah. husband says, uh, you know, then she is no maid. I'll wager, you know, she's wandering around with a drunken knight. And I'm just like, there's a lot of cynicism going on. It's perfectly well-founded, but about the world that these people are living in, right? Mm-hmm. This is how they they pl- they make a living. They ply their trade. They wait outside of Duskendale gates for the, the gates to open so they can go in and sell their possibly uh, stolen from dead people merchandise, uh, you know, and they just don't really have a lot of hope. And Brienne has to sort of struggle with finding hope among herself. She goes off the tiniest threads, uh, as we find out later, of, you know, someone who might have seen Sansa and Ser Dantos. Um, but that's that's all she can do because she made a vow and she's driven by it. But there's just no real hope in this place by the people who are living there. Uh, and it is sort of a, a shell of what it once was, for sure. Do you think that we're supposed to believe in these leads? Or that we're supposed to sort of watch her do good detective work, but but understand that she's on the wrong track. Mm. Mm. I don't know. I think it's interesting for us to watch her try to unravel this from our perspective, because we obviously, you know, the whole time are yelling where we think that she needs to be because we know where Sansa is us right now reading this today. Um, And so it's interesting to kind of watch her wrestle with where she might be going um, and kind of would she head back to the north because that's where her gods are is she gonna be able to get to any family at all or is she wandering you know just alone and in, in or is she with dantos yeah or is she with dantos or you know is she with any other stark bannerman like there's so many different options and i think that 
as Mike is talking about what the world looks like post War of Five Kings, I think that it only exasperates how not desperate, but her Brienne situation isn't great. And you it's hear, bleak. Yeah. yeah, bleak. It's a good word for it. And she kind of near the end of the chapter, she's talking about her oath to Lady Catelyn, how she's never going to stop looking. It says she, I'll give up my life if need be, give up my honor, give up all my dreams, but I will find her. And it just feels, I think, especially in this chapter, it just kind of feels like, well, what, you know, what does that mean? Like, where is that going to lead anyone? Where is she supposed to go? Like, it's kind of a little depressing almost, I feel it's like. A dead end. She'll move on. It's interesting to see her also draw the correct conclusions, too. Like, she's talking about how likely it is that Sansa would be with uh, Sir Brendan, uh, the Blackfish, but then she would have had to have somehow crossed uh, the war-torn lands in between here and there. And, you know, she reaches the conclusion, essentially, that Lysa Aaron would probably be willing to let Sansa in and that that would be an easier journey to make. And look, we know that's actually where she is, in fact. So even though she's following the breadcrumbs, she tends to be right about some of these things, uh, you know, lest she know about them. But it's just uh, what I like about this is it fills in that um, that crucial component to any story, I think, which is characters uh, who could not possibly know what's really going on um arriving at that conclusion through like common sense it just makes the it lends some credibility to other characters line of of thinking you know how cuz Baelish was very uh clever to you know basically hide Sansa with her relation even if that were sort of an obvious choice that can be got to by other people he did it in a way that was not obvious and so Brienne is still coming to the same conclusions, but she's not at all suspecting Peter Baelish. Nobody's suspecting Peter Baelish. And everybody's trying to follow this, this, what, what's now a dead trail of breadcrumbs to, uh, Duskendale, where Dantos was born, but where he, you know, never would have returned to and barely ever lived. I think it's, uh, it, it, in my mind, reading this, she's just on a wild goose chase. And yeah. the problem with the world that she's now living in is that, and I'm not saying that this wouldn't happen in another time. It very well might in a time of peace or prosperity, but she is interacting and coming across people who are going to be willing to say whatever she wants to hear in order to get whatever it is that they want. And and, and I think it's somewhat non-coincidental that she comes across a dwarf, um, you know, who is, is, giving her bits and pieces of information in exchange for food. It's like, well, think about what you would be willing to exchange in this time that they're living in, uh, in order to get food, in order to get protection. You know, you would give whatever pieces of information you may have. Maybe there's some truth to them. Maybe there's not. And so I think, yeah, she is following the breadcrumbs and she's going to a place that makes sense, but it's really the people that she's going to come across that she has to put the trust in. And, and I think that, you see the type of people, even somebody like this dwarf who who she sits down and has a meal with, uh, you can't really trust at the end of the day. There's nothing to point. say that he's going to be giving you correct information. Maybe he just wants a nice bowl of crab in his belly and, and, yeah. and is on his merry way to the next person that he can sell a story to. So right. that's that's the sort of trouble with, with the situation that she's in right now. She has no 
clear leads and, and, and nobody to help her out. Well, and I think that's what makes her running into Podrick at the end and realizing that this person who she's kind of stumbled across a couple of times is Podrick. I think that that makes that even sweeter because we, I mean, we at least understand that he's somebody who can trust and has pure intentions when it comes to the task at hand. He's putting himself in the way of danger, following her like that by himself. Yeah. And, and, and she's, and she's got some, some uh, smart uh, notions as well, like repainting her shield. Like she knows that the sigil that's upon it uh, when she enters the gates are not ill fated. <laughs> yeah. Ill fated. Let's just say that. So, you know, she, it's very, very smart to have a sigil that is a, more honorable, also a whole lot le- less recognized, um, you know, at the end of the day than something that would be, you know, cause you're, you're, you're up against complete, uh, insane odds here in finding friends among all of these would be foes. And she's very smart to, she, she still keeps the heavy shield she's got. She just repaints it, rebrands it. I kind of understand now after Mikey, you made the point about the dwarf, not that it wasn't always there, but you know, what other choice does she have? You know, like she kind of has to go to Duskendale. It's, it's not too far from King's Landing. She speaks to Rufus Leak, the Castellan, because uh, Randall Tarley's not there. He's probably out polishing his Valyrian steel sword. <laughs> she asks him the same questions that, you know, I, I just thought it was funny. He's like, don't you think that like right after the king was killed, that King's Guard slash every other mercenary um, in this area of the country didn't come right here and ask about Dato's Hollard and whether or not I've seen a maid of three and ten, or if I've seen a fool, whether or not he was wearing motley or not, come through Duskendale. Not only is it advantageous for the location, advantageous for his history, but this is also a port town, and this is a good place to leave off. Yeah. And when she's speaking to that uh, dwarf, we learn about three people that possibly could have left and he speaks of a fool, but you got to think in that moment, Brian, wh- why would he still be dressed as a fool? Why would he still be uh, pretending to be a fool after a fool in King's landing at the wedding uh, was one of the people that um, had so many suspicions raised about him. And so all yeah. of this is just kind of a cluster. And I think that because there are no leads, this is, is this as good as she can do? You know, part of me wants to think like, Brian, why didn't you, look outside of the box and, and try to understand that since everyone else was doing this, maybe you could try something different. But the other part of me thinks maybe they just didn't care as much as Brienne did. And then maybe they're not as smart as she is. And maybe she's banking on that as well. She, she might also be distracted because of where she is, right? This road is the same road uh, that, that she ran into trouble with Cleos Frey getting murdered and Jamie fighting Jamie and being taken and having all that's happened to her that has essentially changed who she is. Uh, recently happened uh, on this road and, and you know she thinks about Jamie multiple times through this chapter and I think maybe a lot of it is she she's sort of distracted maybe a little bit uh, more than she'd care to admit about reminiscing and about her feelings for the you know the mission that she's on um, that she's not able to focus clearly or ask the right questions about who she should be trusting does that make sense yeah it's just not a great mm-hmm. time to be a noble knight or a knight with noble intentions right now <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Especially given how well word spreads, you know, eventually others are going to find out that Brienne is is searching for Sansa, and I feel like that can only spell trouble for her. Yeah, well, she's got Shadrick on her tail, 
and she learns about this is interesting and we saw it in in previous chapters through this reread but um the sparrows are, are slowly gaining momentum as far as mentions and and scale inside yeah. of the story mm-hmm. um, hundreds on the roads not only brothers septons too and small folks sparrows all maybe i'm a sparrow too the smith I'm small he enough. made me small enough yeah i wanted to just go back to what hannah was saying there there is a lot to take in here in terms of history and even learning more about uh, Sir Dantos and and how he came to be in King's Landing. And I just thought it was a great story. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and there's a lot to probably jump into there as well. But our man, Sir Barristan, coming through in the clutch. There was suspicious surrounding Sir Dennis and his mirish wife. She was known as the Lace Serpent. And the Lace Serpent filled her husband's ears with mirish poison, they say till Lord Dennis rose against his king and took him captive. In the taking, his master-at-arms, Sir Simon Hollard, cut down Sir Gwaine Gaunt. Oh, really? For half a year, Eris was held within these very walls, whilst the king's hand sat outside Duskendale with a mighty host. Lord Tywin had sufficient strength to storm the town any time he wished, but Lord Dennis sent word that at the first sign of assault, he'd kill the king. Brienne remembered what came next. The king was rescued, she said. Barristan the Bold brought him out. So that's happened. I think this story is so wild to me. Yeah, because it is. we've got this house that for whatever reason, I mean, it, it's not clear, at least in this paragraph, the specific politics behind why um, they rose against the king. But the fact that they could hold Eris captive for half a year. You get a good wall in your city. and It's amazing <laughs> what a wall can do. A wall and some threats, right? The threat to assassinate if Tywin took it. I, I think that's what's clear here is a big gamble, a big gambit actually to have a superior host outside your wall. But the position to just be the fact that you're closer to the king and can get to him first, no matter what they try. Do you guys think um, Tywin was in on it? I mean, I think that that's like a a question because so, I mean, we don't get a lot from this here, but I spent a lot of time reading about it because <laughs> I just think it's such a fascinating story. But um, I think there's a lot of questions about like Tywin's, Tywin's role in this and um, whether or not. Eris being captured was a good thing for someone like Tywin and why in the first place King Eris would even show up there doesn't really make a lot of sense to me either. He had the full bouncing around, tugging on his beard. That must like that. Those six months were not good for his overall attitude moving forward. Uh, aren't, isn't it said that 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 it's this six months that sort of turned the Mad King mad? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the yeah. defiance of Duskendale. Uh, I'm kind of looking for like Bran in the corners here. <laughs> was he? Was he? Was he really there after all? Uh, was he tugging on Aerys's beard? I, you know, I, I don't know. This, I mean, this essentially put an end to the Darklin house, mm-hmm. as oh, well as House Hollard, with the exception of Dantos, who was spared by Barristan the Bold and was taken to King's Landing to be a squire. This is um, it's it's very gruesome, which is why I want to read it here, but. Uh, it says, Lord Dennis uh, bent the knee and begged for mercy, but the king was not of a forgiving mind. Lord Dennis lost his head, as did his brothers and his sister, uncles, cousins, and all the lordly Darklands. 
The lace serpent was burned alive, poor woman, though her tongue was torn out first and her female parts, with which it was said that she had enslaved her lord. Half of Duskendale will still tell you that Eris was too kind to her. And the hollards were attainted and destroyed. I was for- forging my chain at the Citadel when this happened, but I've read the accounts. Sir John Hollard, the steward, was wed to Lord Dennis' sister and died with his wife, added as did their young son, who was half Darklin. Robin Hollard was a squire, and when the king was seized, he danced around him and pulled his beard. He died upon the rack. Sir Simon Hollard was slain by Sir Barristan during the king's escape. The Hollard lands were taken, their castle torn down, their villages put to the torch. As with the Darklins, House Hollard was extinguished. So, just like that, in this, you know, six-month coup, you go from these two strong royal families to nothing they they picked the wrong team they destroyed themselves by making this move against the king and now they're just a signpost above the door of an inn hmm there are definitely things that could have put this into motion that they were possibly put up to or that they were possibly trying to do themselves but that kind of speculation we could literally go on forever like wh- who wanted their lands who wanted who wanted control of the area of Duskendale? like right what was, what was mm-hmm. it advantageous for so mm, there's a lot there well and my question is if they really felt if they really ever believed that it would go as far as it did you know like if if they maybe were trying to use threats and things like that as a political move and then it ended up just kind of escalating yeah it just doesn't make sense well. to do that with the targaryen not with the king i know it's just <laughs> not with the mad king <laughs> you're just getting it murdered by ever like everyone died yeah so it's just kind of not a funny little story but just like a wild little <laughs> this goes wrong for history. you you are so fucked so she goes back to the seven swords which is one of the best named inns so far in a song of ice and fire and drinks drinks wine you know she's like i don't drink wine that much but i'm gonna need some wine right now and she runs across the dwarf who says to her who says to her while she's thinking about jamie uh, my lady, you look sad. Are you thinking of your sister? Like the dwarf is, this is how I know we can trust the dwarf is because he actually cares about her perils. Right. And is asking her like follow-up questions about her sister still. Um, I don't know. I just, I thought it was funny. Um, she's kind of distracted in this scene, but she's just heard a lot of history and she's just hit a brick wall. So you know what? I think she's earned some wine and a little daydreaming about bath time with Jamie who looked half yeah. a God. Mm-hmm. Big deal. <laughs> Same. <laughs> and did, though. Uh, obviously meets up with with uh, Podrick later in the chapter. She sneaks up. She sees him. Uh, she lets her like like let lets him go around her. Comes up behind him. Smacks the horse uh, with, the, with the broad <laughs> side of her sword. And that's just comical. But like, can you imagine like the injury that he could have sustained falling from like being kicked, being thrown from his horse? I yeah, thought I mean, about the, that too. He's only twelve, right? Isn't that? Right. About what he is, 10 or 12, he's not. Yeah. He's not very. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's probably not wearing much padding or armor or anything. It's so. survival of the fittest. Yeah, that's good for him. <laughs> yeah. But finally, the mystery of the piebald roundsy is uh, secured because if you were reading closely in those chapters leading up to this one, uh, you kept seeing him. You yeah. kept mm-hmm. seeing him kind of pop and out of little corner. I remember the first time I read this after we decided to go on Sullied last year and I had a feeling that it was Podrick, but I did not know. And so I can imagine to those of you who read it for the first time without seeing that Podrick and Brian meet up in the television show. It must have been so cool seeing Podrick Payne, Tyrion Squire, say I'm his squire and he left me and then meet up with Brienne and say, I want to help you find Sansa for those reasons. Like that's just mm-hmm. it's sweet and it's cool and uh, they deserve each other. It says a lot about Tyrion and Podrick's relationship. I think that maybe we didn't 
necessarily realize up until this point. The fact that he would continue, you know, kind of follow after Tyrion left him, kind of yeah. follow through on on this this quest. So how he's still loyal to him, mm-hmm. very very Hufflepuffy. There was never a more loyal squire. Never. He'd also, I, I think, Brienne's in a unique position to accept that t- that uh, Tyrion Lannister, who she did not know, is sort of better than people say he was as well. Like she's having all these nicer thoughts about Jamie, and now you get his squire, who clearly Tyrion treated well enough to make him, you know, want to follow and find. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's Brienne's going to be going on a journey where. You know the the Lannister yet another Lannister is a little bit you know nicer than they seem. Well, she dreams of Jamie too. Not sure if that is telling us of things that may happen in the future. The fact that she has this dream and the person who she thinks is dying is not in fact Renly, but Jamie, yeah. and that she had failed him. I just wonder. Hmm. What does it all mean? Hmm. I thought it meant that she loved Jamie now, but oh, I could be wrong. That's what I no, like that... to think about it, but I think I take that to the extreme. So she holds him in a similar esteem. You're right. It's it's this one of respect, of admiration, maybe even, which is you know the more she would reflect on it, she would be like, "But he's horrible. But he's not. But he's horrible." But like, I, I think it just means that she is. Can, she's duty bound to, mm-hmm. you know. So it's almost she, as if mm-hmm. Jamie has taken Renly's place until torment comes around. <laughs> <laughs> well, that hasn't happened in the book yet, but damn, I hope it does. Oh, well, man. I'm just waiting for the winds of winter, guys. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> yeah, it's all gonna be there. <laughs> and now we take a moment to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Audible.com. Do you love books but find that you never have time to read them? Well, Audible.com has the perfect solution. Get audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to read while on the go. At the gym, during your commute, Audible.com has audiobooks from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. Their app is free and works on iPhones, iPad, Android, and Windows Phone. You can also download and listen on your Kindle Fire and over 500 MP3 players. And unlike a streaming or rental service with Audible, you own your books. So you can access your books anytime and anywhere right from your smartphone. Kind of like this podcast. Audible.com also has the great listen guarantee. If you decide you don't like the book you choose, no worries. You can exchange any book you aren't happy with for another title anytime, no questions asked. So this is a fun sponsor to have on the podcast because as we're doing this read through, it makes... 100% complete sense that you also listen to the book that we're reading through. And this is like the most perfect opportunity for you to do that. Mm -hmm. You can find the entire Song of Ice and Fire series, including A Feast for Crows and A Dance of Dragons, which we're reading right now on audible.com. So you can stay up to date with us on our chapter read throughs. And the best part is just for our listeners, audible.com is offering a free 30 day trial membership. Go to audible.com slash owns today to start your free trial. So go find A Feast for Crows or Dance of Dragons or really any of the A Song of Ice and Fire books and continue along in our read through. Show your support for Game of Owns and get a free 30 day trial at audible.com slash owns. We did get to hear, though, about Sir Humphrey when she's talking about um, breaking his collarbone. And their betrothal. Oh, their oh yeah. This was betrothal. the best. Her Sir Humphrey or Humphrey Wagstaff is his name. I wrote it down. The third would be suitor for Brienne. 
and uh we got a good own about this later so i'll spare uh the the deets but um she she held her own declared that she would only marry a man who could beat her in battle and she kicked his ass in battle so and he was what 65 i mean yeah yeah but he was <laughs> proud. That's, that's that's a proud little, man. Uh, hey listen he was he was Way too prideful. He thought he could take her out. I don't yeah. blame her. Got her dad to stop asking, right? Stop forcing her yeah. to do things she didn't want to do. <laughs> and that and that's a recurring theme, of course, doing things your dad, you know, want you to do, but you don't want to do yourself, like Tyrion with some of his early jobs, like manager of the what is it, the cisterns, the cisterns. and the drains. <laughs> yeah. Casterly Rock. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, these these characters never are quite free of their fathers, um, at least, you know, in the memory and the the of past torments and who they are today is irrevocably a result of that sort of a relationship. Yeah. But I, I think there was a certain edge to Tyrion, at least when he was having the conversation with Griff about Tywin, he was actually taking, at least the way that I read it, a a level of pleasure in talking about how he killed his father. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I think that we're going to see that throughout Dance with Dragons. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He's he's essentially made a game out of it at this point, Um, asking where do whores go? We mentioned that before. And, you know, taking such pleasure. But, But also the letter that comes with Illyrio sort of lays all of Tyrion's sins bare. He, there's nothing that he can accomplish by denying them. And so he, he wears them proudly. You know, the, the letter has essentially told this guy has told Griff who he is, why he's there. And Tyrion can do nothing but uh, kind of go with it, you know, and kind of hope for the best. Sure. And then we can get into this, I think more later on in the chapter, because there's a lot that happens prior to him being in the same space as as, as Griff. But, yeah. I mean, he he basically is calling his bluff, right? He, he There's no way that Tyrion believes that this man says he is who he is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, first off, he's a sellsword that can read, and he can completely sense the presence. Like, Tyrion grew up around these people, you know? Like, he understands that this guy is probably in the same boat as him. And... Uh, I think that that is what is going to make them decent allies. And I think Tyrion knows that. Right. But before that, Tyrion goes on a little bit of a road trip. He's, he's, he's passed off. He's becoming like this little, like hot potato that gets passed off from one, one group to the next. And he parts his ways with Magister Lirio without much objection, which I There's found. No, yeah, no fanfare. Yeah. Interesting, right? The, you know, here is a man that he felt relatively safe and comfortable with and and now he's being given over without really asking too many questions as to where he's going or what he's going to be doing is he just content i think that what we're seeing here micah is the sadness of Tyrion lannister and a small bit of madness that has happened to him ever since he crawled up from those black cells and uh killed shay and killed tywin you know like think about his his mind right now, where he's he's funny and and that's great, but um, 
when he says where did, where did horse go again like in front of a whole new group of people after they've traveled so far after he's eaten after he's been vetted and he's had conversations he's had plenty of time to talk about it and to get out of the stupor that he originally had when he was brought over from king's landing right but i feel like he's not quite over it and i don't think it helps that he's being passed along by other people basically how he was his entire life i think which was which was interesting for george to put into the chapter when he mentioned uh the wonders of lomas longstrider and how yeah Tyrion's great great pleasure was to grow up one day and to see the wonders and he's seeing one today he's seeing the valerian high road but he wanted to see the wonders and um travel the world and his father told him no like there's no way that a lannister on my dime is going to go see the wonders like you can become a, a fool if you'd like and dance for your travel money and um you know there's just an example right there of of, of someone else dictating what Tyrion can do and uh with someone who is as as leader he's someone who is as clearly a leader as he is and someone who is so as fiercely independent as he is i don't think it sits well and so couple that with what's happening with illyrio basically telling Tyrion he has no option like i know he's doing it nicely but illyrio's got men and money and he's got a plan and Tyrion basically just showed up at his door with nothing smelling of wine and shit and being convicted of many murders basically at the mercy of anyone that he's around if they find out who he is because anyone can do anything to him and i still think that um the, while he's very funny and he's still Tyrion, he's still smart i think if we paid close attention to this chapter maybe not even that close of attention if we just look past how happy he seems we can see how dark and insanely unhappy he is that's a good point i think i think that's absolutely a good point i think that you're you said earlier about Tyrion getting over what he's what he's done, and I don't think that we're ever going to see that. Like, I think that him killing his father and him really leaning into this Kinslayer. I mean, he says there's some point in the chapter where he goes, I "Have no fear, I won't kill you. You're no kin of mine." Um, I think that's unlocked this really dark piece inside of him that has not only dredged up all of this issues that he's had as a child, as we see with his family, but I think that we're just going to continue to see that throughout his journey, especially over the next couple, you know, and over the next couple books, I would say. Um, but I think it's interesting that he's kind of just resigned to the fact that that's who he is, I feel like. And mm-hmm. he's just kind of not embracing it, but almost like making jokes about it, yeah. um, which I think is I, interesting. I, I totally agree with that. And, and I do think you, we've talked about it on, on previous episodes, sort of the darkness that is becoming Tyrion Lannister uh, he's just even in the, in the description of of when he's talking to Griff you know yes as as Zach mentioned he's still comical there's still you know something that you can you can laugh at but when he said Lord Tywin was sitting on a privy so i put a crossbow bolt through his bowels to see if he really did shit gold yeah. he didn't a pity i could have used some gold i also slew my mother somewhat earlier oh and my nephew Joff Frey. I poisoned him at his wedding feast and watched him choke to death. To the cheesemonger, leave that part out. I mean to add my brother and sister to the list before I'm done, if it please your queen. So he just talked about murdering five people. He's spewing lies about himself now as if they were true, Mm -hmm. which is what gets him. It's it's why Jamie 
he lied to Jamie right before he, they last saw each other too. And it's, it's not going to bode well for him. Like he's, he's just got such little self-worth at this point um, that he's going around and, and saying that stuff if it's true. But then of course, at the end, we see a little bit of, I don't know about vulnerability, but he wants to read the letter. He, he, cause it's like, Oh, cause so, so can I read it? I, he, his joke is um, I love, you know, I'm vain and I love what's seeing what other people wrote for me, but I, I think he really just kind of is interested in in what was said because of his positive relationship with Delirio. Um, also, you know, strategically, he, like, what yeah, can I lie about? What can't I lie about? Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, Griff does not give him the advantage, which is smart. But I, I do think that that's sort of the more vulnerable side of Tyrion, where he wants to read the letter. He He does kind of care if he lives. He's just sort of pretending that he's not or doesn't. But... You know, it's it's a fine line there certain days um, because of what happened and because of like the mental state that he's in. Mm-hmm. But clearly there's a plan in place here. I, I'm still not entirely sure that I know what it is, but Illyrio, Griff, this whole crew seem to be up to something. We get mentions of Daenerys, but even Illyrio as he's parting with, with Tyrion and Halden and Duck says, good fortune, tell the boy I'm sorry I will not be with him for his wedding. What wedding? Mm. And I will rejoin you in Westeros. Wow. That's so, parting words. That's like seriously balling party yeah. parting words. Where are yeah. right there? <laughs> How are we getting to Westeros? Because last time I checked, doesn't seem like we're Tyrion heading in the right direction. direction. <laughs> the jetpack. No, th- this is really a crew, though, when you think about it. Like handing off chests after they've just been carried by oxes, by the oxen, by the way, this far. Now being handed off to two other grown men and being taken somewhere else. Like they're not even there yet. Like this is truly a setup. If we didn't understand the scale of what's happening before, which we should have because Illyrio's got uh, many fingers and many pies, uh, we definitely have to now. And mm-hmm. it, it's always felt like there was more to me as I've read this more to this uh, than Daenerys. But when you get to the end of this chapter, that's basically all they talk about. Yeah, but but there's a lot of talk also about uh, some of the goings on in, in Essos. Not to, I mean, you mentioned the wonders and how they're on one of the wonders uh, of the world themselves with this road, the Stone Road. Um, you also hear a little bit about Kals, uh, Zeko, Motho, and Pono. I guess their names are. And Say that five times fast. Zeko Mothopono, Zeko Mothopono, Zeko Mothopono, Zeko Mothopono, Zeko Mothopono. I did it. Only because I wrote it down, I was reading it real quick. But uh, yeah, there's some cows like the Dothraki. Like these are these are people we have not had to contend with or rather against in a long time. Danny has some, that's true. But we're talking about them riding around and raiding and you know, paying tribute and, you know, getting them not to be a problem as you're traversing this great East place. Uh, you, you just don't know at this point what, t- what trouble Tyrion's going to run into on his way to Daenerys. Uh, Cause you get the idea that it'll take a little bit longer than we're currently even led to believe. It's an excellent way to bring him back up though. Kind of like in the Brienne chapter with the uh, sparrows for future setting. Yeah, exactly. It's a great way it's, to remind us that they're there. Exactly. Um, that, that they're a force that is, you know, hasn't gone away just because our characters who are POV have not dealt with them uh, in a while. Mm-hmm. But, um, but let's, let's talk about duck if we can. Uh, Cause I, I love duck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I love I doubt- the, I love the introduction of him. Yeah. Yeah. I doubt if he could kill a duck and Tyrion replies, fetch the duck. <laughs> and then duck stands up and he's a bit bigger than I thought I was expecting. D- duck and Tyrion's relationship is a classic 
breaking down of the boundaries that we set ourselves, right? Like, it's just, it's the same with Mord, right? Like, anytime Tyrion encounters this big, burly foe, he he uses humor to sort of break break the man down, and Duck can't help but like Tyrion, much to the dismay of Griff, you know? And over time, it's it's just sort of a very fast friendship, which comes out of necessity, no doubt, but Tyrion is just able to appeal to the man. Uh, you know, he, Tyrion resists all attempts to be vetted. He is able to give a more accurate history lesson to everyone in the room uh, than, than they themselves knew. And he kind of shines even when he least is sort of in the position to, to be saving his own life. He just manages to befriend Duck and manages to kind of go easily with them to the next, to the next stop. And the story of Raleigh Duckville making it east is thus. My father made a longsword for me to mark my 16th name day, said Duck. But Laurent liked the look of it so much he took it for himself. And my bloody father never dared to tell him no. When I complained, Laurent told me to my face that my hand was made to hold a hammer, not a sword. That's pretty mean. So I went and got a hammer and beat him with it till both his arms and half his ribs were broken. After that, I had to leave the reach quick as it were. I made it across the water to the Golden Company. I did some smithing for a few years as apprentice. Then Sir Harry Strickland took me on as squire. When Griff sent word down river that he needs someone to help train his son to arms, Harry sent me. So, we can glean from this that, one, Duck is kind of out of his mind, too. So, I think we can understand why he's getting along with Tyrion. Uh, (laughs) And three, um, Griff is connected with the Golden Company, which is a company of sellswords that operate in Essos. Yeah. Uh, Well, as you you said, Zach, it's very clear to see why Duck and Tyrion would like each other. But it's, it's also, you just kind of like how Duck as a character is very driven by what he wants and he's not afraid to break rank or class to get it. Um, but is therefore has therefore been exiled and you get the sense with duck and all the people you meet here that there are sort of people who have chosen to live here are, you know, tend to be either exiles or it's, it seems to be some sort of growing safe haven for people who can fend for themselves. Surely, but that's true with the rest of the world, but people who, who wouldn't fit anymore in Westeros. Um, or who are plotting to overthrow it. He is sort of, in a way, even being part of the Golden Company, sort of uh, a group that openly defies the government. Well, and there's mention of Grayscale. That's true. Mm-hmm. Which I the thought shrouded king. Which terrifies Tyrion. Yeah, more than death. So that's interesting. The Grey Kiss, they call it. I think that no, kind of going back to the conversation we were having earlier, it's interesting to me that the thing that Tyrion is more afraid of than actually death would be something like grayscale because I think at this point he would probably see death as a relief and so right uh, something like you're saying the gray kiss would be such an awful like nail in the coffin on his already awful situation that he's got well let's just hope that he doesn't get it as they approach the city of Gohandra I'm not sure how to say that I hope one of you will tweet me the phonetics they see the townspeople if you call them that the people outside that hear a band of men approaching on the Valerian High Road uh, kind of just disappear and go into holes, their houses, basically go out of sight. And it makes me think of you know, what what these people have gone through living in a wilder country, even though they have a very established travel system with that road. Um, the differences 
between Westeros and Essos, directly between these two chapters, where we we were inside of Duskendale, and it was a marketplace, and there was an inn where people were able to drink and uh, have fun. And I'm sure that they still have the same uh, things inside of their community out here, but when strangers approach, it's a much, much bigger deal. And I think that we can just take this one moment and kind of how we usually do with the history being dropped, the lessons inside of the chapters, we can just take the context of how they're reacting and how, for example, when the naked girl with mud up to her knees, sees Tyrion and he makes that face at, face at her and she starts crying. Mm-hmm. Tyrion turns to his companions and they're like, what happened? Why'd you do that? And he says, well, I don't think she's ever seen a dwarf before. That just kind of Again, another another twist of context on top of uh, the people that are populating this place and uh, the history lessons that come beside it that tell of a much grander past and that were basically scarred by the dragons and ensuing war and now we see her continuing to be scarred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Essos is no is no really is not really any safer than Westeros. You still have these these characters if you run afoul of them, like Cora uh, Cora the Cruel, uh, the female pirate who. You know, her, is crewed, her ship is crewed by maidens and they killed every man they capture. Tyrion's like, oh, I, I wouldn't want to be captured by them. You know, it's just these these stories that you hear of these people who are also in Essos doesn't necessarily make you any more comfortable for Tyrion's well-being. Um, just that, you know, we have this faint thread, a bit like what Brienne is doing. You know, this thread of these are people that Illyrio trusts, so Tyrion should too also. Um, sort but of the why? only assurance. Yeah, it's the only assurance you have. Um, that, that's but, my thing is that, mm-hmm. and I get that Tyrion is, is really not in a position to make any sort of argument else. He's just going to basically be left on, on the road. Uh, mm-hmm. but he is willing to trust, but only to a point. And I think that that's yeah. clear in the conversation that he has with Griff and he is very, very suspect of this man who's in front of him and, I think that he's starting to catch on and starting to formulate in his mind an idea of of who he may be. And I think that it just shows you how smart Tyrion is. And not that we needed more proof of it, but even in a chapter where he's being first introduced to Griff and young Griff, he's already starting to formulate in his mind who these people may be. And what they right. want. Yeah. I mean, he notices that Griff can read and he's like, that's unusual. He He's able to pick up on all of these clues that give him sort of more of a, a it's a sixth sense that he has that gives him more of a advantage to surviving. And this is where there's kind of a break for me. Beginning, not necessarily beginning here. I guess you could back it up to Illyrio's chapter, but that was still kind of touched on in the show. But I feel like that there's a very clear fork in the road with how these stories are told and direct line with Tyrion Lannister and other things, of course. But we, we see here that Tyrion's not exactly excited about the prospect of working with Daenerys. You know, he makes a joke about taking care of his family members and killing people in the name of her or for her. But, you know, in the show, the, the, through Varys, there's a very real reason for Tyrion. Like, you're a leader. You were hand of the king. 
this is why you should be doing this. She is good. You will find out. You will understand. And of course, we get it and we understand. But as readers of the, bo- of the book so far, that's not clear right now. And the reason Tyrion is traveling right now is because he has no other choice because he's a wanted man and because he's right. basically being used by these people. And over the course of A Feast with Dragons, we're going to find out the troubles and the tribulations that Tyrion goes through. And hopefully, he eventually reaches the same conclusion. And if he eventually gets there, uh, what what terms will it be on, what stakes will be made. But this is where the fork is for me with the TV show and the books, because I really feel like not what, not even what Tyrion is going through in this chapter was translated. And I understand that this necessarily didn't have to be translated because this is a different kind of, of struggle than he reaches later, the different kind of suffering that he reaches later in right. the show. He's a slave and he's beat around and et cetera, but it's, it's different. Um, and we'll find out. I don't want to talk about it right now, but for those of you that understand, or for those of you that have read forward and, um, love Tyrion's arc or whether you dislike Tyrion's arc, um, either way, the show didn't make it the same. And I don't believe it was for anything other than screen time or simplifying the story, but I'm curious as to how it matters because I don't think George R. R. Martin wrote Tyrion becoming this way in this way. For no reason. Right. You or know? interacting with these characters for no reason who, you know, as we, as we've said, clearly there's, there's a greater purpose to them and, and there's more than meets the eye. And, and we can talk about that in later chapters when the truth is revealed. But I agree. I, I think that this was just something that they could write around. But at the same time, I wonder, I wonder if more is to come in season seven particularly related to these characters, it, it's hard to imagine why you would introduce them unless maybe they aren't who they claim they are or, or only some of them are who they claim they are. I really I really don't know. Uh, but yeah. I think ultimately it was done for the purposes of screen time. It could have been achieved in a different way, which it was with, with Jorah and obviously Tyrion getting to Daenerys much quicker than she does, or th- sorry, than than he does in the books, uh, because he's not even with her yet. Uh, so it's right. It, it, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be fun to read, and hopefully, the story continues uh, with with some of these characters in in the Winds of Winter. But yeah, um, I just I, I'm just continuously blown away, like I said, by by Tyrion's intuition and. This was a part of the chapter that 150% gets my own, so I do give, uh, sorry, Eric, Tyrion his oh. own. Yeah. Uh, so, but I wanted to, I wanted to know what you thought of it, and it was kind of subtly done by George R. R. Martin. Um, it's when you know, he's talking about Daenerys, and he says, what if we should find the queen and discover that this talk of dragons was just some <laughs> sailor's drunken fancy? The wide world is full of such mad tales, grumpkins and snarks, ghosts and ghouls, mermaids, rock goblins, winged horses, winged pigs, winged lions. It's like, I know who you are, motherfucker. Yeah. (laughs) This one's easy for me. Any chapter that the Valyrian High Road is in will get my own. Oh, darn. I was... uh, It's okay. It's It's a marvel. It's well made. It is a marvel. Uh, You know who wrote about the marvels, though? Lomas Longstrider who gets my own for documenting not only the natural wonders, but the wonders that were man-made. I also love the um, commentary on them. <laughs> Isn't it 
so uh, vain of man, vain of man to to make two more wonders. Um, but uh, but yeah, any kind of traveling book about Westeros that inspires young Tyrion to you know see more of the world, or he memorized all of them and could recite him at dinner, like. Good, good, good on you, Lomar, Lomas, right? Lomas? Yep, yep. Good, good on you, Lomas, for, for making a good book that inspires young minds. Uh, I'm going to give my own to, I mean, I guess it's kind of a little bit depressing, but I still think it's a good passage when Tyrion is talking about how he was given charge of all the drains and cisterns within Casterly Rock um, and how... The, he says the drains had never drained half so well as when he had charge of them. <laughs> Damn and that Tyrion had been disappointed in the fact that maybe Tyrion didn't fall into them, which as we talk about Tyrion's journey and kind of where he's at with, with his relationship with his family and, and where he's going, um, I just like that little bit about about his time at with the drains and cisterns. Yeah. I mean, Tyrion did his damn job. Even if it was a shitty job, he and did And he it. was good at it. Yeah. And he was good at it. He made himself, yeah, he learned all the nuance. This is how Tyrion works. We know this. This yeah. is from Clash of Kings. So it's nice to, you know, it's nice to see him always, having always been the same way. I agree. Uh, good owns. Uh, now for Brienne, what do you guys, uh, what do you guys give your owns to? Hmm. I got to go with the seven swords. I was going to do that too. <laughs> and the story behind it. Uh, I won't. Our new fave hangout spot. I, uh, I'm going to give mine to Brienne. For uh, for what she did to Humphrey Wagstaff, she she owned Humphrey Wagstaff. She broke uh, all of his bones and his heart, and he deserved nothing less. I'm gonna give my own to the dwarf when Brienne asks, or he says, "I must be on my way. I've got to go to King's Landing." And she says, "Do you have a horse, a mule, two mules?" The little man laughed. There, there they are at the bottom of my legs. They get me where I want to go. He bowed and waddled out the door, swaying with each step. I just thought that was funny. I'm going to give my own to Jamie for filling Brienne's dreams. <laughs> uh, <laughs> budding romance, yeah. Or Podrick. That's a good one. Well, speaking of Brienne, she actually tweeted in to give us her owns for those chapters. Oh, love it. Straight from the Valyrian High Road. No, wait. Straight from the King's Road. No, wait. Her own own for her own chapter goes to herself. For swiping left on Sir Humphrey, his collarbone, and two of his ribs. Yep. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's a big swipe left on that. And for Tyrion, her own goes to the ever-pragmatic Raleigh for his naming skills. Hashtag duck. Hashtag field. Hashtag only one in the phone book. Good. <laughs> <laughs> two parts for I writes in. Own to Halden Halfmaster for only being half a maester. All things considered, it sounds like more fun. It's... <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. It's half as much fun, actually. Next, we have Matthew Marilla, who says, My own for the Tyrion chapter goes to Sir Raleigh Duckfield for breaking Laurent Caswell's arms and ribs for stealing his sword. Yep. And then my Brienne own goes to the girl who painted Brienne's shield with the same sigil as Sir Duncan the Tall. Hashtag, hmm. Mm-hmm. Also love that handle, at Voldy yeah. off the wall. But it's <laughs> off the wall in all caps. Alma Lidman Bring says, Own for the Brienne chapter goes to the goes to Memories. Brienne is swamped in memories of Catelyn, of Jaime, of her old master at arms, and her old fiancé. Pod remains loyal to his memories of Tyrion, and House Hollard takes its coat of arms from the fact that the, that the daughter of the house, three daughters of the house, were queens during the Age of Heroes thousands of years ago. And Tyrion own goes to his encyclopedic knowledge of dragon lore. Of course. Agreed. Reese Palacelo says, for Brienne, 
their own goes to her freshly painted shield, oak tree, and falling star sigil. <laughs> Sounds familiar. And for Tyrion, my own goes to Duck and Halden for their comical introduction to Tyrion. I doubt he could kill a duck. Fetch the duck. Duck steps forward. Oh, gods be good. <laughs> I had a smaller duck in mind. <laughs> Us too. Martin Hall writes, Brienne Owen goes to Sir Duncan the Tall for having sex. <laughs> Brienne's ancestry is pretty obvious considering the similarities between the two characters. And his Tyrion Owen goes to Sir Raleigh Duckfield for being one of the most likable minor characters in the novels. Everyone likes an underduck. <laughs> and then lastly, on Facebook, Kaylee Mark says, Owen for the Brienne chapter goes to Pod for being oh so stealthy. I mean, Brienne only spotted him three times in 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag don't put your day job pod. Oh poor guy. He's doing its best. Yep. She'll she'll train him up. He'll be a better stealth, a better squire when she's done with him. Thanks for sending in your owns. It's fun in the off season. It is fun. We hope that you're enjoying a feast with dragons. What are we twenty chapters in now? Yep, mm-hmm. which Something is like one is sixteen percent of the way. Time flies when you're having fun. And it sounds like we're going to have plenty of time. I know, right? Like, <laughs> are we going to have time to finish this whole thing before our winds of winter? The next two Maybe. chapters as part of the Feast with Dragons reread are Davos 1. So we finally get a Davos chapter. And John 3. So we find out more of what's going on with the wall and Stannis. And those are both in A Dance with Dragons. They are. And of course, uh, make sure that you send in your owns to us for those chapters, just like everybody did for Brienne and Tyrion. And there are a couple different ways that you can do it. You can tweet at us at Game of Owns, scroll upon our Facebook wall at facebook.com slash Game of Owns, or send us an email at contact at Game of We also earlier today recorded an episode of my favorite podcast, which is A Squad of Ice and Fire. Um, <laughs> we talked about our favorite TV shows. So you can head over to patreon.com slash goo if you want to support us on Patreon and check out Squadcast. My favorite podcast. We um, talked about Stranger Things. Thanks to Micah for bringing it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What else did we talk about? We talked about the night of. Yeah. Sort of, because I'm not done with it. You know what else is going to be a lot of fun? Con of Thrones. Kind of, yeah, <laughs> Con, Con of, of Thrones. Thrones. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. I'm also very uh, out of my mind uh, busy, <laughs> but I'm really, I'm really, really excited. Still top priority is getting that Battle of Blackwater Bay pool party up and running. It's going to be a lot of fun, bringing a lot of green dye, a lot of glow sticks, a lot of different changes for bathing suits. You know, there's a lot of options, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking something in all black. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's pretty on brand. <laughs> so, yeah, come to Con of Thrones if you'd like. It's next summer. If you haven't bought a ticket yet, you probably should. You can go to conofthrones.com and um, do that. Please come hang out with us and everyone else. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. That is June 30th through July 2nd of next year in Nashville. As we mentioned multiple times on this episode, there's a lot to look forward to. Over the next year, Con of Thrones, maybe the next book, Winds of Winter, season seven of the show coming next summer. It's a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm as excited as are all of these guys to see and experience that. That said, this episode will be my last regular Game of Thrones episode for the foreseeable future. There are a number of things that I'm working towards, uh, personal life, otherwise, and I'd like to Devote as much time as possible to achieving those, but it means I've got to set aside some commitments, including the recording of this show. To the listeners and you guys, I just want to say, I'm extremely proud of what the show has accomplished. 
I look very forward to seeing it continue and excel as a resource for the fans of Ice and Fire. I'll certainly still be listening. I hope that you will be too. Zach, Mike, and Hannah have been gracious enough to support my decision to leave, and I'm very grateful for their friendship. And to the listeners, thank you for the support throughout the years. I've enjoyed reading your owns and seeing your feedback. My own goes to you. Uh, so my question to you guys is, who will carry the Greyjoy torch? You can still carry the Greyjoy torch. <laughs> yeah, you sort of can still have it. Uh, okay, okay. But like, yeah, but like really, somebody who can, you know, continue to spout nothing but good things about them. The Ironborn, because this is their book, after all. Mm, wow. Well, we, the, we will the spread it amongst ourselves and do our best job. <laughs> mm-hmm. We hope that you will send him your love. Obviously, he's one of our best friends and he's been in the show from the beginning. So, so please uh, be nice and support his decision and make sure mm-hmm. to uh, listen back to our old episodes if you get... A little teary-eyed. Nostalgic. There is one stipulation, however, though, that... Eric must continue to manage Kyburn's candy corner. Well, of course. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Every once in a while, just check in. Make sure it's not messy. <laughs> make sure everything's restocked. <laughs> we have a, a, a pretty cool announcement regarding this podcast and something else. And I'm not really sure how uh, to say it yet because we, we have to wait until it's ready for you guys to actually click on something. But we have a, a very fun project coming soon to the Game of Thrones universe that we're very, very excited to tell you about. I think that you're going to be very excited about as well. So uh, stay tuned to our episodes. Keep sending us owns. And um, that's that's what they should do, right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll miss you, Eric. But we have lots of fun stuff to look forward to. Absolutely. So we will see everyone next week for Davos and John. Davos and John.